Boom, episode 63 of the Talking Bollocks podcast brought to you by Gaulio, the home of Irish podcast. It's me, Terry Flower. It's me, CLB. And this week we're joined by... Brian Penny. Brian. Dr. Brian Penny. Dr. Brian, Dr. Brian, Dr. Brian Penny. Penny. Don't forget that, That's Brian, will you not? Yeah. I still, still hard to believe, lads. Yeah. <laughs> so what do we call you? Brian, Dr. Doc, Penny, Doc. 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 Yeah, yeah. The, yeah. Doc? the Doc? The Doc, fella? Yeah. <laughs> Doc, Doc, Penny. Yeah. Right, Brian. This is obviously a part two for you, so you know the drill. Into the Zingo Stamplum last week, yeah? Grafton Street. What, how do I say this? Stephen's Green. Is Stephen's Green at the top or the bottom of Grafton Street? It's at the top of Grafton Street. I was only walking up and down there today and I, I was saying, how could anyone think that's at the bottom of Grafton Street? Like, you know what I mean? It's the top 100%. That's what I'm saying. Grafton Street, if you put a football at Stephen's Green, yeah, and push it towards Grafton Street, it'd roll down. Yeah. It's a yeah, hill. Yeah. It's a hill. It's yeah. a hill. Yeah. So, to get to the bottom of the hill is the bottom yeah. of Grafton Street. End the story. That's game. That's book people are texting saying if, you, if you're on the south side, it's the top, and if you're on the north, oh wait, if you're on the south side, it's the bottom, and then if you're from the north side, you think it's the top. But no, I think it's the top because it's a hill. Yeah. If it wasn't a hill, it's a different argument. I didn't have a clue last week what you were on about, but then I had time to think about it. I'm like, that's clearly the top. The top. And when you yeah. actually walk up the street or down the street, whatever, that's yeah, and book close on that. Yeah. yeah, there you go. So Stephen Screen is the top of Grafton Street. Speaking of books closing, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. Brian Martin brought in his book to his uh, bonus time. So you touched on this a lot in the first episode, Brian, and I really do appreciate it bringing us in. Plenty of uh, good reading and that. I've actually already read the book, but I have a second one with a lovely little message on the show. I'll keep this one, I will. Yeah, and I'll pass the other one on to a good friend or something like that to read because it's lethal. Yeah. Unbelievable. Cheers, what a book. Lads. That's something I didn't know people do a lot is they pass books around. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't know this was a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's real wholesome, that, isn't it? Yeah, mm. real passing the knowledge, yeah. Yeah, but it's like this This book done so much of me. I'd yeah. like it to do something for mm-hmm. you, so here it is. You know it's a mean? brilliant, brilliant book, honestly. Yeah. One of my favourites, yeah. No, Genuine, I'm not just saying it because you heard either. I've said that to loads of people. Did you read your, book, read your book before you actually come on the first time? Oh, yeah, yeah, I had a read yeah, and all, yeah. That time, yeah. Right. Stephen's Green, right? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know where I was. <laughs> Stephen's Green, 88% of people say it's at the top, 12% say it's at the bottom, boys, yeah? What do you call when someone is receding here? What do you call that? Yeah. Do you know what? Um... I don't know what it is. Danny Murphy, Liverpool player, I used to mm, have yeah. it. And I used to, I, I have it a little bit as well. It was just the way it was. But I don't know, it's just receding hairline. I think that's all I'd call it. Wouldn't call it like drive-ins no, or car parks. Yeah. I've never heard no. of that, no. no. Did you not, no? No. 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 You're starting a barber, of course. Why? Because we've talked a lot about hairlines. That was my thing of it this week, I haven't. Yeah, we've talked a lot about hairlines and hair and stuff like that the last couple of weeks. And now coming up now with their proper, I believe, words and all that. Yeah, you know what I mean? They're like, <laughs> no, you have to part in that and tape all that and all that. Yeah. 23% called them drive-ins anyways and 77% called them car parks, yeah? Yeah. Which would you rather, Peaky Blinders or The Sopranos? Sopranos all the way, but mm. do, do you know what? The, the, you have to put the word in there. If I mean, it's the word of the Sopranos. The word is the grittiest, best program of all time, bar none. I've so, been flat out watching ooh, it last oh, few weeks, Brian. Just, you not. weren't the biggest fan, weren't you? Know? I got oh, season man. three, and I just thought, wow. you know what, this hasn't actually kicked off. Because a lot of people said, don't mind season one. Yeah. Then season two was okay, and then season three, I think I got three episodes in. Oh, I was like, man, you know what? I'm surprised, man. It's not doing it for me. And do you know ooh. what? I, now I'm going to put my hand out to be slapped out. It's the same with the Sopranos. 
I love both of them. That must be mm. something in the two of them, actually, yeah. Mm. But uh, I'd be Sopranos over Peaky Blinders. Yeah, a lot of people got yeah. really offended with that. Did you see the comments? Proper order As offended. If we didn't say this. It was Roddy Collins who said it. Yeah. You know, Sopranos or Peaky Blinders. And people got really offended. Well, yeah. I picked the Peaky Blinders. Well, Hasn't it? Yeah. No way. Yeah. Peaky Blinders is brilliant. Yeah, it is good. It, I've never followed the right trail. I watched all of the Sopranos now. I've never followed Peaky Blinders. I was hesitant right at the start of Peaky Blinders, yeah. But they got it per- periodically perfect. You know, yeah. like, it's a lot of fellas out World War One, Yeah. And they're all, like, going through PTSD and the gangsters yeah. and the, the politics at the time is brilliant. And Killian Murphy's Killian Murphy's oh, animal. He's class. Animal. Yeah, he's class. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. I thought it was very good. And I yeah. still think, I haven't watched a new season yet. New season kicked off this week, so I, I have to get stuck into that. Oi. Class, sixty-seven percent of people would rather Peaky Blinders, but there's gonna be slaughter over yeah. that. And thirty-three percent the Sopranos. One in three people prefer the Sopranos. It's not too bad. No, considering what? How old is it? Oh, 20, twenty years. years oh, <laughs> 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 oh, the lawyer of weeks trying to get that. Oh, right, happy with that. <laughs> Have you Singers. got a thing over this week? I do. Have a thing up with us. So, someone said to me, would you rather do 10 years in prison or be five years in a coma? Easy for me. What would you do? 10 years in prison. It's not a bad one, isn't it? My head was wrecked thinking about it. Off the bat, you just picked 10 years in prison. In, in a flash. Lots of good stuff you can do in prison. I know, but halfway through that, you'd be like, I could be you on a week. Losing five years, I've lost, I lost 15, so no, that was in the They're coma. They're still losing 10 years. You're coming for 15, not <laughs> five, maybe that's what that is. <laughs> You're still losing 10, yeah, look, although, like, come here, you can have your Xbox and all, and the joy, and Blade, and whatever, and whatever, yeah. you can still go up to things, but you, you've no freedom, you can't just go and get a you goal. You nick, getting out. Oh, in the nick of your life. After five years in the joy, you'd be cracking up if you knew you had that choice. That's <laughs> what I mean, yeah, so imagine, yeah, like, halfway yeah. through that being like, I could have been out now. Mm. Yeah. I'd, but then again, if you're in that coma before five years and you wake up and say, like, people are dead and all, and you didn't get to go to the funerals or anything like yeah, that. You can't go to someone's funeral when you're locked up. And then you're just away from the times then as well. Like, although you're still away from the times yeah, in the yeah, 10 years, but you know time, what's actually, going yeah. on. At the same time you're in a coma, you just wake up and you wouldn't, yeah, I, I don't know, I'm probably edging towards the coma now, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> and imagine how fresh you'd feel after the coma, you know what I mean? Oh, that's some kip. <laughs> I'd do sleep for five hours and I'd be in a jock on <laughs> I'd be more tired waking up than going to sleep. Like, mm. Yeah, I'd pick the coma. I think I'd do 10, yeah, boys. Oh, I'd love to, do I to see the, the results of this mm. one, yeah? Mm. I'd do 10, yeah, yeah. Would you, yeah? Yeah, just because I don't want to wake up and hear your bleeding brother that's brown bread or something, do you get yeah, me? But, uh, but then again, no one might do it, but that risk, boys, no. Yeah, but then, oh, I'm not getting hung up on it. I'm picking Calme, yeah, final answer. I'm not Brian, what are you going with? I'm going to go 10, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'll do four. Yeah, that was my gut instinct. Yeah, they were stretched like, together, yeah, bro. Two yeah, boys that's knocked it. up, one of them dropped his voice. Yeah, that was the I'd be like, nah, drops his voice after five, yeah. Yeah. Fresh as fuck. Only out of calm, man. Fresh. Have you got one? That was your one this week. Yeah. Uh, I have one back to the, the hairline stuff. So when someone's going bald from the back of their head, yeah. You know yeah. that one? Yeah, that's an egg in the nest. <laughs> an egg in the yeah. nest. I what forgot you... about that. Yeah. I just say a ball patch. Yeah. 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 Someone... Just a ball patch? Just a ball patch. They're very yeah. formal, aren't you? Yeah. Dr. Yeah. Brian Penny. <laughs> what happened there? <laughs> Forget your roots. <laughs> well, speaking of roots, yeah, so when they're going bald from the back, someone says, is it called an egg in the nest or a penno spot? 
Oh, panel spots is show. I call live, so it's an egg in the nest when they have hair. But if they only have like bits of hair, so say it's like a one or a two all over with that, that's a panel spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The egg in the nest is more the comb overly kind of thing. It's like the few twigs over the nest. Like, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean, I like the panel spot. I go panel spot. <laughs> panel spot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that egg in the nest or panel spot. Yeah, fresh. Right, we're on the hair buzz, obviously, right? So let's say you were at a party and someone takes a razor to you. Would you rather <laughs> do to shave off your hair or your eyebrows? That's a fucking great single. That's what I said. I'm going to give you that. Did, did he tell you this one? Yeah, you were outside and he told me. That's a fucking great singer. I just wanted to make sure I wasn't asked before. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's here all day. No, it's not, yeah, bro. It yeah. has to be. Oh, I like Voldemort leaving that gaff, boys. No, no, no. Eyebrows, eyebrows gone. Really? You look gone. Bro, imagine eyebrows. how weird you're going to look. Boys, imagine how weird you look with a one all yeah, over. After three days, you're fresh, <laughs> yeah. then. Three days of what? What? How fast you was your hair, bro? <laughs> You'd be like a tennis ball after three days. What? Your hair's gone. Your eyebrows are going to be gone for a good month. month. Easy. And you think your hair's not going to be? In a month, you'll you'll have a quiff and all after a month. You get it back. What happens you get a haircut every couple, every two weeks, every couple of weeks? In fairness, you get a haircut every two, three weeks, yeah. But But that's only for the skin fade, yeah. You don't really get much off the top. You don't realise how quick your hair actually grows. Yeah, your hair grows. You don't, no, come here, boys. It's not for that reason, because I think you're waiting the same length of time for your eyebrows and your hair, but I'm just thinking if you did get your hair took off, you could come in here and still have a little hat on you or something like that. You can't do anything for the eyebrows. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do, get them tinted like the... Pair of shades. Pair of shades. Like Mike, the situation sitting here. <laughs> Isn't it? <laughs> the snitchuation. Make good, make good in a bad situation. <laughs> I'm telling you, boys, put Ray-Bans on. Right. So you, you're hair. getting your eyebrows No, I'm not changing my mind. Yeah, I'll wear a monkey hat with yeah. the one all over. That would be fresh. <laughs> and the monkey hat at that. What you call it? A monkey hat or a beanie? A ah, monkey hat. Yeah, yeah monkey love. Yeah, 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 identification. Oh, I'm blending on. Yeah. Dopes. Right, before we move on, uh, there was a suggestion last week. So we have the live show this Friday, 4th of March. Uh, we have a couple of competitions. Uh, check out the socials. Fucking live show. <laughs> yeah. Can't even sleep, bro. I haven't slept in about three weeks. <laughs> I think t- uh, nerves are good. That's that is. Yeah, they're it, good, it, but how much nerves? Like I keep saying, imagine we go out there, right, and just forget how to talk. I don't think that'll happen. Nah. <laughs> I'm no fear of that. <laughs> Absolutely. Of anyone. <laughs> that's not going to happen, lads. Boys, I don't know. I don't know. See if we start stuttering and all. But yeah. that'd be funny, won't it? Yeah. That's it. That's it. Just the pretend p- you're in a, a big smoking area in a nightclub. That's all there is. Yeah. yeah and you're pouring years off someone. You know what I mean? Whispering sweet nothings and empty promises to everybody. That's what we do on a weekly basis. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know, yeah, boys. Me nerves. Yeah. Listen, I'll see us there anyways. <laughs> Hopefully. Well, Someone says, have you got any tips for bunking in? You won't bunk in. It's impossible. We met the staff down there and I said this as a joke. Like, ah, people think they're going to bunk in. He's like, yeah, that's not happening. I was like, all right, mate, calm down there. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Fucking <laughs> Dave Batista on the door. Like, relax, pal. Yeah. So don't come down with intentions of bunking in. If you haven't got tickets, there'll be more shows on the horizon. Yeah, just bear with us. Right. Tickets are scarce, deadly. Yeah, well, that's mm. it. Sold out seats. I heard yeah. talking bollocks speech. Savage. You know what I mean? So here we are. Right, boxed we, off. We get down to business. Down to business. Right, so what episode was part one, Terence? You're usually very good for the numbers. 47. 27. 27, was it? Around yeah. that. Yeah, around top yeah. 49, around that. Definitely around Well, I'll three. say 38, boys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we we'd hit it somewhere, yeah. Yeah, so in the high 30s, yeah, and Brian's first episode, what we touched a lot on was addiction and suffering through addiction, and I thought we really humanised kind of 
I don't want to say normalised, but that's kind of what it is, wasn't it? Like, drug addiction is normal. Yeah. It is, in society, it's, I think. It's, it's, addiction is like, we're all addicted to a certain extent. Yeah. And it, it, drug addiction is just one type of addiction. There's loads of behavioural addictions, and it's all the same suffering, you know what I mean? So I think normalised is, is a bit funny, but just making it real, humanising it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I think we've done that brilliantly in yeah. the first one. Yeah. So what we brought, that was Brian's story, which is absolutely inspirational and brilliant. And now we're going into more your occupation and what you do and how you are, like what you do with the, those three let, or two letters in front of your name and the three letters after your name, Dr. Brian Penny, PhD. <laughs> so we'll get into that and the effects of drug addiction, yeah. the neuroscience, biology behind it and trauma and stuff like that. And the solution. And oh, well, a potential solution, yeah. Well, you didn't know, I didn't know you had this one now. You had to hit me with that. <laughs> <laughs> a potential solution, yeah, yeah but there's, there's definitely angles to go on, you know. All right, so we'll kick this off then. Yeah, just give a little brief or a little summary about you. Yeah, yeah, just for any, yeah, if anyone didn't see it. So basically, I was, a, as, as you know, lads, so I was addicted to heroin from the age. I'd done heroin for the first time at 17, chronically addicted at 20, and for 15 years, I was a heroin addict. Um, on a methadone program for 12 of them years, giving urines every week, drinking methadone and a chemist every week. And I was just, what you call it, a functional addict as well. I think that's, that's important to know. It's not that that stereotypical thing doesn't really exist. But um, I had very luckily had a, a shift in perspective from a lot of suffering. I had a big seizure, um, a very painful event in my life. And started to give me that shift in perspective. It made me look at the world a different way, went to detox sort of uh, something grabbed me in terms of learning, psychology, the human mind, awareness, self-awareness, and all these ideas just really grabbed a hold of me. And I just launched into that. And I'm eight and a half years clean now. And as you know, as we mentioned, what you call it, I just finished my PhD just there before Christmas. So it's really, you could say, an obsession, an addiction for learning and that kind of stuff, like a positive addiction. But that's, that's me in a nutshell, really. Brilliant. So we're going to touch on the neuroscience of what actually goes on. So what you mentioned in the first episode was when you were addicted to heroin, you got a scan of your brain. Yeah. So tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, so basically when I was in, it was two days before my first official clean day. So it would have been like the 6th of or the sixth of October 2013 when I was in detox. I was asked to be part of a brain study to get a scan of my brain. And I went in, was part of that, part of that study and didn't think much, much of that after, after that. But then I do my PhD in the Institute of Neuroscience. So we talk about a lot of neuroscience today. So I teach uh, the, the neuroscience of addiction in Trinity College and I teach the neuroscience of mindfulness in UCD as well. So credibility come from there. It's important to, to note that as well. And when when I was a few years clean, I was asked to um, take. I was asked to teach the neuroscience of uh, mindfulness. That was my first opportunity in UCD. And then the person, Dr. Johanna Irvers, who came into the detox facility that asked me to be part of the methadone study on the brain, gave me an opportunity to teach the neuroscience of addiction in Trinity College. So it was a crazy turnaround. But um, because I was in the Institute of Neuroscience in Trinity, I had access to an fMRI scanner. So I got a scan of my brain in 2018, that was. And we'd done a comparison on the brain scans from 2013 to 2018. So it was a five-year difference. And the difference in my brain, there was huge differences in areas of my brain. Like physically, visually, you could see the differences. Now, there was a problem with that in that um, they were at a different resolution. So from a robust scientific perspective, it was hard to look at the comparisons. Even though we looked at the, 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 the anatomical structure, it's called the anterior commissure. So we did 
analyzed that from that, but it was hard to do a robust analysis on the comparisons of the brain scans. But what we did do was, it was this thing called brain predicted age scores, which measures the density of your neuron. So a neuron is the, is the brain cell. It basically looks like a tree. If you look at a neuron, it looks like a tree. And if you do a lot of, um, if, you, if you increase the density of your brain, you, you learn lots of new things. You basically have loads of extra branches of that tree and it gets more dense. So what this does is it measures the age, the predicted age of your brain. And over the course of five years, I'd actually reduced the age of my brain by six full years. And that predicts mortality rate, cognitive decline, physical health, cognitive health, all of those different things. So it just goes to show you that the actions that you take can have a huge impact on the outside, but also on the inside, inside biologically on your brain. Mm. So... We talked before we uh, start recording and what we thought we done brilliantly in the first episode was we humanise drug addicts. So when you see someone on the street, it's not somebody who's just, oh, look at him, he's a heroin addict or he's a junkie. You're saying this is somebody's son who's suffering through addiction, etc. And what we're hoping to do here today is say, well, I understand a lot more about this person now because I know what's going on in his head. I know what's going on in his mind. I know the effect that substance is having on his body. Yeah. So can we touch a bit on that? Yeah, big time. And, and and it comes down to that. Like I had a lot of trauma in my earlier life. And what what the research shows and what you find from lots of people and with antidotal evidence is that people that are struggling with addiction have some kind of trauma in their lives. So it's not like a moral thing. It's not like nobody wants to be an addict. It's usually a medicine or a, a, a way to medicate a problem that's already You'll existing. always hear that though. You'll always yeah. hear people like people who are oblivious saying, well, it was their choice to take it. Yeah. Like, that's madness to say. There's a lot more to it. A lot more to it. Mine was anxiety, but it could be loads of things. It could be depression. It could be just trauma where people are just overwhelmed by life. Mm. And um, basically what happens at, at that level is, right? So at a biological level, you have a trauma. You, you, you have a depression, anxiety, whatever that is. There's an area of the brain. It's the fear center of your brain, it's often called. It's called the amygdala. All right. So basically, if you and, and you could have a stressor from the outside, so it could be the area you live in, it could be violence in the home, it could be the trauma from your parents, maybe violent, violence in the home, all of these different things. And that basically is a stressor. That sends a signal, right? That sends a signal where whatever comes from into an area of your brain, fear center of your brain that lights up like a Christmas tree, sends a signal down to the rest of your body that's called the fight and flight response, the stress response, cortisol released through the body. It, it, it's it, and the way it's called fight or flight is because this 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 response is giving you energy to either run away or to fight. That's yeah. what it's for. And it evolved from years ago, like when we were in the wild. That's its evolution gave us that ability to evolve. So if a tiger jumps out at you, you either run or you try to fight for your life. But now it's something that's in your head. It's a memory from the past or a projection into the future where you're worried about something or it could be your parents or your partner or just madness in a certain area. And you can't fight or run, really run away from that, especially when it's in your head. And this just, that's the stress response, lighting up your brain, sending that cortisol throughout your body. And that has horrific, a horrific impact on your body, especially if it's that chronic stress again and again and again. And it just like, you'll, you'll, you'll just suffer horrifically from that. And what do you want to do when you feel bad, when you feel anxious, overwhelmed, you want to get away from it. That's a, a very valid human response. And what does drugs do? 
or some behavioural addiction. It takes you away from that. So if you take a drug, it's not the solution because it's it's really bad in the long term, but it helps you in that moment. So there's a very good reason why people are taking drugs to escape that trauma, to escape that overwhelm, to escape that stress, whatever way it is. So that's that's how it happens biologically in the brain. So it makes sense that people who are struggling with their mind and emotions are taking drugs to cope with that stress. Mm -hmm. And I think that's something that we're slowly starting to say in society. Like drugs are becoming more acceptable. And I don't think they're becoming more acceptable. I think society's perspective... normalised. Yeah, yeah. Society's perspective is changing that. Everyone does drugs. Yeah. Like, let's not try and shun people for doing drugs because, like we, we always say, because we're sober, if we were to shun people who dr drank or done drugs, we'd have no mates. No. Like, let's be real, you wouldn't be very sociable. And bring alcohol into that and legal drugs like benzodiazepine that the doctors are giving out. Like, look at the opioid crisis in yeah. America. Like, it's, 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 it, when people say drugs, it's, it's legal drugs, it's alcohol, all of these different things. They all help you to, to feel a little bit better about yourself. And that's why it's just a symptom of an underlying problem. Mm. So, you said you touched about a solution there. Yeah, so what you call it, right, so there's, lots of, there's lots of different things. So let's say um, one, one of the big things, that's really the biology of it, right? Now, one of the problems, like I said, you can have an external stressor. So let's say you're in a, in a, in a family home and there's lots of stress, there's violence in the home. That's going to stress your mind, stress your body, and you're going to want to get away from yourself with that, right? But then you could also have like uh, if stuff happened in the past, right? So anxiety, if you have chronic anxiety and it's living in you and you, you have a narrative of your life where... You, you can't, let's say, like a belief system you have about yourself. You're not good enough. You can't cope. I'm never going to amount to anything. My whole narrative of my life was I can't cope with reality. I can't cope with anxiety. It was just like, just lit up my body and I was just trying to run away from it. And I says, I can't cope. So what I tried to do to cope was to take drugs to be able to help me to cope with that. But most of it was just sort of in my head. Like, you know what I mean? It was the narrative that I told myself. There was, there was real versions of it as well. So when you're talking about a solution, like obviously I haven't got the solution for everybody with addiction. Mm. If I had, oh, that 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 would that's the secret sauce you'd want to give to everyone, you know. But like um, different things work for different people, and one of the big the biggest solution for me for addiction was was changing my relationship with anxiety. I love my relationship with anxiety today. It's a crazy thing to say because anxiety isn't something bad that happens to you, to some people. Anxiety is something that happens to everyone. Terry, you're, you're talking about, you're anxious, you're breaking it for, for the live event. That's anxiety, but it's your relationship with it. So I think we were even talking about it before. It's good to have nerves because it means you're excited. It means, it means something to you. Mm. So it's changing your relationship with that. And um, let's say if it comes to like worrying about the future or worrying about the stress in your life or worrying about money, you know, all these different yeah. things. Are, it's just and Some people just are feeling stressed, give me a drink, you know, just to cope with the stress. But if you can change the relationship you have with that, well, then you change the relationship with how you deal with that as well. So an example of myself was my narrative, the old belief and narrative of my life was I cannot cope with anxiety. Today, I have a lovely relationship with anxiety and any challenge that comes into my life, I say, right, how am I going to learn from this? Try to use it as fuel for growth. So it's by changing your, 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 your relationship with your thoughts and your emotions, you change the consequences. So I don't need to take drugs to cope with anxiety because I don't, I have a good relationship with it. So that, that was a solution for me. And how do you, how do you get to that stage yeah. of your life though where like you can cope with 
living with anxiety and these things rather than you substances. Yeah, and this is the thing, like it's not easy. There's no magic wand, you know what I mean? Yeah. And it took a long time for me. There's a couple of entry points of that as well. And and, and something that's really important for this as well, if anyone's listening with like with um struggling with addiction. Like and deep addiction, you have there's other elements you need to get to the bottom of force. You need to get to the biological, you need to sort of the biological element of a force in terms of getting the drug out of your system. Mm. And again, if it's a coping mechanism for really bad trauma in your life, you're going to sort of need that drug to cope with that. So you need to go to professional help for these as well. So this psychological kind of uh, solution, this would be more when after the event, if you have a lighter addiction or you've sort of got the biological part out of your out of your out of your system. Or let's say someone in recovery, let's say, so the, they're, they're in recovery, but they're struggling still with the stuff that brought them into addiction. They still have a bit of anxiety. Well, then it's about changing your relationship with that. And in terms of the how, there's, there's a couple of ways of doing that, right? One of them is like, is exercise, is an absolutely brilliant way to reduce anxiety and depression. Like it is a natural antidepressant. All the time the research is mm. there on that. And I, you know, I didn't, because we're talking about neuroscience, I'll, I'll give you a little bit of a mechanism behind this. Why exercise is my number one non-negotiable. This is the number one thing I do every day. I have a rest day, obviously, but it's the number one thing that helps all. It's like the domino that knocks down all the other dominoes, right? And we're going to get into the weeds a little bit here, the neuroscience, right? So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a molecule in your body, right? It's called tryptophan, right? That can turn into multiple things in, in your brain, right? One of the things it can turn into is, is a, a neurotransmitter called serotonin. Serotonin is, a, is, is sort of known as the feel-good yeah. neurotransmitter in the brain. Yeah. You load of serotonin, you feel good. Antidepressants are actually increase the amount of serotonin in the brain. So you want as much serotonin as, as you can get, right? So tryptophan turns into serotonin in a healthy brain. Exercise increases the, the the probability of tryptophan turning into serotonin. So that's one of the mechanisms of where it turns into serotonin, right? Now, if you have inflammation in your body, and it's not just inflammation like a scar on your hand or anything like that, or an, an abrasion, like inflammation, if you are, are chronically stressed and feeling anxious, that manifests itself as an inflammation in your body. That like The stress response is inflammation. Mm. If you have inflammation in your body, well, that tryptophan, instead of turning into serotonin, it turns into a, a molecule called kinurinine, right? So forget about the names here. It's just really think about the mechanism. So that tryptophan turns into another molecule called kinurinine to fight the inflammation. That's what that, that's for, right? But what happens to that then is that a, a byproduct of that process is, is a thing called quinolinic acid, which is a neurotoxin for the brain. So if you have chronic stress and you have chronic anxiety and you don't exercise, not only do you have a lack of serotonin, the feel-good neurotransmitter in your brain, you have a neurotoxin, an acid in your brain instead. So it's a double whammy. So for me, when I think of exercise, I think of it biologically. This is a natural antidepressant. It makes you feel good. And that's the mechanism behind it. It physically makes that happen. Yeah. So that is a really, really important one. Exercise is just so, so important. It really is. And diet as well can come into that. Diet is huge. I, I, I always think, like, people are always looking for the magic wand, the, the, the quick fix, you know what I mean? Like addiction is the quick fix, but the quick fix doesn't work. 
good short things. Short term, yeah. Instant gratification. It doesn't work. It's it's good things take take time, you know what I mean? So nutrition is really important. What I'd say to anybody, um, and this is what I take, I, I wouldn't take loads of supplements, but I've started to look into the science of supplementation. And two of the things I take is a, is a, it's, it's a fish oils, right? But you need to get a good fish oil. But what's important is EPA and DHA. They're two components. They're essential amino acids. Now, what an essential amino acid, and you have amino acids in your body, you have things in your body that you need. And our body has a way of creating these things, even if you don't ingest them. The body can really fix itself. But an essential amino acid, amino acid is something that the body can't create. You need to get it through external sources. And EPA and DHA are two of those things and are in fish oils. And you'd want to be taking about a thousand milligrams a day of each of them. And there's research shows that they are as good as some antidepressants for mm. reducing depression, mm. as good as that. So diet is absolutely crucial. And, and as, a, as a quick thing to think about with diet is just eat uh, raw foods. That's what I try to do. No sugar, raw foods. I try to stay away from sugar. That inflames the body as well. Stay away from sugar as much as you can. And I'm talking about refined sugar, like fruits yeah. is good. So refined sugar, but DHA, EPA, really, really important. Nutrition, really, really important. Exercise, really, really important. Sleep, really, really important. But back to where we are going with the mind, the psychological stuff as well. Of changing. Brian, just real quick. So yeah. you're saying if you're heavily stressed, there'll be inflammation. Yeah. And so when, when you exercise, you will get less serotonin because the molecules will be fighting the inflammation. Yeah. So how long would it take... Like, although, like, if you're heavily stressed, right, but then you start exercising, so the stress levels will start going down, you'll start getting more serotonin. Yeah. How long would it take for the inflammation to I, go I down? I don't know the ins and outs of that, to be honest, and, and it would it'd be different for every single person, you know yeah. what I mean? There would be some kind of instantaneous hit from that as well. Like, there's endorphins released from uh, exercise as well. Serotonin would be an instantaneous thing as well. But then if you are st if you still are stressed as well, like to be like people that exercise are also stressed at the same time. So there's a double double element of that, but it just increases your susceptibility to chronic stress and it really, really helps. Like when I feel a little bit anxious, like what you call it, and um, like I've changed my relationship with it, but one of the reasons why I've changed my relationship with it is because I know I can do something about it. I've taken control. And one of the things I do is I go and exercise. And you can physically, it's like shaking the negative energy out of your system. Like you can physically feel better, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. So it's hard to know the ins and outs of that. I wouldn't have the expert. But eventually, like the inflammation will be less and less and the serotonin yeah. will be more and more. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. obviously makes sense. Like it's so hard to explain to people how beneficial exercise is. Yeah. You know, because like there's a lot of people out there say, oh, I can't run or I can't do that. But if you just start small, even if you have to fucking start walking, yeah. and you just walk an extra two or three kilometers or anything, and then build yourself up because like it's hard to explain the relief you feel like if you have a really bad day like when we were training for the marathon and stuff like I had a lot of days where I was down and I was stressed yeah. and I was like I don't want to do this and you're like I have to fucking go out and do a run now but when you finish that run it's instant you're like I'm you so never glad never never, never, never yeah. finished the run and said oh yeah <laughs> And it's something, something shifting you, doesn't it? Because I can understand that before I exercise, like the thoughts of doing that, and even like the you always tell love running as well. Like you don't mm. wake up in the morning, you say you're, you're looking forward to run, or you enjoy a run, but in that moment you're not looking forward to going out and stressing your no, body and holding your legs. No. But the benefits are so much, and something shifts in your mindset over time. But I think it's really important: baby steps, start Definitely, small. Yeah. 
and that is you build up the process over time. Yeah. Like when we're saying go out and exercise, we're not saying go out and do a ten k tomorrow. Yeah. You've never ran before. Yeah. Yeah. Like simple things, as you said, just walk for it. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what's a massive one? And I know it sounds like it's a cliche at this age, but sea swimming, just getting into the cold Yo, water. Rich. It's like, do you know what it is, Terence? And we do it the odd time as well. But when you're going out to the water and you're like, I oh, know this is going to be bad and everything in your body's like, just turn back, just turn back. You know how bad this is going to be. Yeah. And the mental struggle when you get into the water and then yeah. you're in it up to your waist and you're like, I'm freezing, yeah. I'm freezing. You're like, <laughs> I need to get my head, my shoulders in first. Yeah. You get your shoulders in, you're like, I need to get my head in. And then when you do it, you're like, I actually feel so much better yeah. now. And as you know soon what? as you come up above the water, you're like, oh, fuck, that's illegal. That's brilliant. Yeah. And it's the mental battle that you're at the winning with your own body. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then when you get out, you don't realise but you go home and look up the physical benefits of yeah. what's had to happen to your body. Yeah. What your body has done and benefit from that water yeah. Yeah. is sensational. Yeah. You know, and hard science. Really hard yeah, science it's there. Yeah. It really is there. Yeah. But what I, what I love about it is the mental battle. And it's like, you know what, if you can do this, like, what can't you do? You know, yeah. like, just them little wins you get throughout the day. And even when you know there's a challenge coming up and you're saying about, like, getting anxious over something, you're like, do you know what, well, I bleed and went into the water four degrees in the middle of winter when it was raining out and I had no clothes on and yeah. I still managed to be able to do that. It's stepping just, out of the comfort zone, isn't yeah. it, really? Like, you don't understand what you can achieve when you just... Mm. And what you were saying about your relationship with anxiety, do you remember when we were talking about this actually coming back from swimming the last time and I said I was looking her up, being ang or nervous and excited is the same thing. The exact same you, thing. You scientifically same and physically, the exact yeah. same it's thing. It's the lens you view it through. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, your heart rate goes up, your palms sweat, yeah. you get shortness of breath. It's the exact same as being yeah. excited. Yeah. Nervous and excited, the exact yeah. same thing. And that's probably when we look at it, you're nervous for Friday, I'm excited for Friday. Yeah. But we're both the exact well, same. The exact yeah. same. Yeah. same yeah. You know? yeah. And just how you look at it. So it's kind of is managing that uh, relationship with anxiety. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It'll be our anxiety saying to you, oh, you're nervous. But yeah. you could say, like, do you know what? I'm actually excited for it. Yeah, excited for it. And, and, and the, the hard part is, and I'd say anyone, anyone listening to this and they'd be saying like, well, how do you actually do that? How, how, what's the mechanism behind? How do you actually grab that? And there was something like, for, for me, everything stems around awareness, right? It's it's being aware of your, your emotions, your mind, aware of the story that you're telling yourself. That is the key piece. It really is. Like when I was in, in, the, in the treatment center, there was this priest that was down there and he was so wise and he called it an awareness center. So we need to be aware of what's going on. And when we get triggered in the moment, like emotionally hijacked by something, that's a lack of awareness. Like all of a sudden you're stressed, you're anxious and you don't be thinking right. And that's mm. when you, you relapse or that's when you do stupid stuff give me a drug I need something now to fix this and you're not you're on autopilot you know what I mean sorry to go across a big example of that is driving yeah you know yeah. when if you're driving and someone cuts across and you're like you're fucking and you're smacking pure things anger, and you're, yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean that's a big outburst yeah when you need to actually stay, stay calm yeah. driving a fucking car here and we're talking about behavioural addiction. Some people are addicted to anger. That's the, that's the outlet, you know what I mean? Yeah. So there's all different kinds of things, but you need to be able to, to change in your relationship with some challenge and emotion, change in your relationship with stress. You need to be aware of it in the moment. And that's when well, that's where change happens, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it's really the, the psychology behind it, the biggest tool in my life to be able to do that is it's, it's, it's an, an idea known as self-observation. It's basically just observing your mind and your emotions and your bodily sensations because like lots of people especially with, with addiction and stuff like that and people that struggle they're not really in touch with the bodily sensations and where feelings are in your body but it's getting aware of them things and there's a, there's a lovely metaphor this was a game changer for me it's a lovely metaphor in eastern philosophy right known as forced and second darts right forced darts are basically the darts that life throws us COVID-19 
the Ukrainian war, what people put on social media, your friends, a breakup, something happening with your family. These are all things that life throws at you. Yeah. And if you live and love life, you will experience forced darts. Life throws them darts. This, but that's not why we suffer. That, that's, that's part of human existence. These forced darts, these challenges, pain is inevitable. But where our suffering is, is these second darts, our response, anger, guilt, depression, taking drugs, and our response to the situation. So there's, there's a great line in a book that, that one of my favorite books of all time, it's uh, Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. So he was like a, an Auschwitz survivor in concentration camps, survived four concentration camps. His family were all murdered in the concentration camps. And he's one of the greatest people that have ever lived. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning about mastering your own inner world. And there's a line from his book that I just absolutely love, right? It's between stimulus and response. There is a space. In that space is your chance to choose your response and there lies your growth and your freedom. Hmm. So the stimulus is just a fourth dart, something crap happening in your life, a stressor. And it could be an internal, it could be a hmm. thought in your head or worrying about the future or worrying about money and stuff. But that's the fourth dart. You're like, oh, shit. But... In there, before you react, there's a space. And if you can sort of increase that space by looking inwardly at yourself, by practicing self-awareness, self-observation, mindfulness, going for walks in nature, just start to sit quietly with yourself and observing that. If you can catch that, well, then you can control your response to the situation and not get guilty, not mm. get angry, not pick up a drug. And that's what triggers and cravings are. Like you might get triggered, you might get, and you pick up the drink, you pick up the drug. But if you are aware of that, you're changing your relationship with it. And then you can change the outcome of what you actually do. That's mad because Brilliant. a good example of that is when we started doing this podcast, what was the one thing that we were always passive to doing? Responding to comments. We were, yeah. Always. Someone Always. would say something and I'm like, you can't let that go. And we'd say something. Yeah. And then what happens? We don't do that anymore. We just don't care anymore. <laughs> yeah. About so it. That's, <laughs> so that's, that's yeah. the growth. It's, that's yeah. the growth. That's the growth right there. And you probably sometimes you might even catch it. Oh, you'd see, or you go, oh, well, check that, check that. But it's like catching it. Yeah, it's catching it in the moment. Then. And once you catch it, once you have the awareness of that, then you can do something about it. That's, it's that's a game changer. Like John, when you say, like, take a breath before you do something. Yeah. Like, that's what that is, basically. It's, that's Giving what yourself it is. Yeah. Clear head. The breath is so powerful. It's one of the most under... I, I, you know, it's great to see so much work. I know Pat Dibley's doing great. He's had him on a while ago as well. Pat's great. He's doing a lot of breath work as well and Wim Hof and all these, but there's loads of science behind the breath work as well. And the power of the breath to reduce stress, to reduce anxiety, all the things that cause the, the problems in people's lives, like the power of the breath is just incredible. You can actually, like the stress response, right? If you think of the stress and anxiety, like it just sort of happens to you. You get stressed, you get anxious. It's automatic. That's how it happens in the body. Like let's say an example, driving out down the road in the car, someone pulls out, stress response. You can't say, I'm not going to have a stress response. You can observe it and say, right, there it is and change your reaction, reaction to it. Yeah. But you can't change the actual stress but the breath is, is, is there's an intersection with the breath where you can actually reduce the physical level of stress in your body and it, it's basically the diaphragm so mm. what what you actually do is right so if you're feeling stressed in the moment present moment stressed in the moment feeling anxious you should do this Terry if you're, if you're uh, stressed <laughs> out this week right this yeah. really works right it's called the physiological side right so what you do is um, you're feeling stressed, you're feeling anxious, you can't tell your mind to just stop the stress or anxiety. But what you can do is you can use the breath. So when, you're, when you breathe in, your diaphragm goes down, right? That's the muscle underneath your lungs. Your diaphragm goes down. When that happens, there's more space for your heart. 
that sends a signal up to your brain saying there's not enough pressure there, put more pressure on the heart and that, that, that puts more pressure on the heart and increases the stress response, right? But when you breathe out, when you when you when you breathe out, let me get this right. When you breathe out, then the the so when you breathe breathe in, yeah. So when you breathe in, the diaphragm goes down, and it sends a signal to the heart saying there's not it, 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 there's not as much pressure on the heart, and it sends a signal down to increase the pressure on your heart. When you breathe in, that's the, it's the reverse of that, and it sends a signal down to. I I'm making a mess of this, right? So when when you breathe in. The diaphragm goes down. It's more air in your lungs, right? So there's mm -hmm. more space there for the heart. So what happens is it sends a signal to the brain saying there's not much pressure on it. Put pressure on. But when then when you breathe out, the diaphragm goes up, and that sends a signal from your heart up to your brain to say and decrease the pressure, and that changes the stress response. Mm -hmm. So the, what the physiological soy is, right? It's basically two quick breaths in, right? You go. <sighs> That's all you do, right? And if you do that repeatedly 10 times, you are at a biological level, you are reducing your heart rate, reducing the stress in your body, and it works every single yeah. time. It's absolutely so powerful. And if anyone has ever done that with Moff, you, you realize there's a lot of emphasis on uh, exhaling. Yeah. And holding it then. Holding it, And you're yeah. like, yeah, you know, like it because it's the exhale that uh, it's at that point of the exhale before you have to inhale again. Yeah, that's what he say. Concentrate on that. Yeah, just a longer. It's simply you have a longer out breath than an in breath. Yeah. and the longer you have the out breath, then that will reduce the stress level. So you could do it. There's a number of ways you could do it. That physiological side is a really great way of doing it. And the, the reason why there's two in breaths, two quick in breaths, is because it gets it gets the carbon dioxide. The second breath gets the carbon dioxide out of the lungs, which causes stress as well. And then the out breath, the long out breath, sort of reduces that stress, reduces the heart rate. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> catch me in the dressing room. Yeah, it, it really powerful. Really, really works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, do you know Matthew McConaughey? You know that scene in The Wolf of Wall Street. Mm. You know that. Ah, that's yeah, what he yeah, does before yeah. he goes on set in all his films. Yeah, and DiCaprio caught him doing it. And he's like, oh, do that in this in scene. In the film, we say so that. that was all like yeah. ad-lib. That was all yeah. like, yeah, let's do that. You know, so what, well, he legit does that. He legit does that. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a legend. Isn't he? Brilliant. And that's why, you know, when he's like, mm, and he goes, yeah. it's all bleeding. And then he just obviously puts the, ah, oh, in this, and like, you know, for yeah. dramatic effect. But yeah. like, it's all, mm, it's all bleeding. It helps him get yeah. ready and into the zone. And it's, it's, I think the most important thing, because I remember before I got into psychology and, and neuroscience and stuff like that, I'd have heard the word stress and anxiety, and I just thought there were terms that you throw around. But when you think about there are actually biological things happening in your body, it just makes them real. And when they're real, and then you learn you can actually do something about it, well, there is a way to actually reduce it in the moment, and you can do something about it. So it's a game changer, like, when you think of it that way. Yeah. So just going back to the, the first and second arts. So the first arts are what life throws at you. Yeah. Second arts, what you throw back. Basically. Well, the, the first first arts are the darts that life throw at you, right? The yeah. second arts are the darts you throw at yourself. So it yeah. could be like let's say, uh, let's say yeah, somebody says something to you and you get angry. That's a second dart. You're angry, but then you go over the top. So then you feel guilty because you got angry. Another second dart. Then you feel sad because you got guilty because you got angry. Another second dart. And that's what happens to people. It's these constantly second darts trigger another second darts, and you're just you're anxious, you're stressed, you're angry, you're guilty. All of these different things. And this is why many people live their lives. Just mm. these constant second darts trigger another second darts. But if you can catch, there is a space when something happens. There is a space. That's where self awareness lives. 
and you can actually just catch that, respond in a more rational way. So instead of getting angry and going over the top, let's say in that example, you do something else and you respond in a more rational ma manner and then all of those other things don't happen. Yeah, I get it now, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you touched on, sorry, Brian, you touched on exercise and diet, so nutrition. They're like the, the physical, physical aspects of it all. Is there any like uh, philosophical, mental capacity? Like, you know, like one example I give is counseling. So I was yeah. in counseling a few years ago and the counselor says stuff like that to me. So like the first step was acknowledging you have an issue. Yeah. And then she recommended like things like omega-3, fish oils, and then exercise as well. Oh, that's great. So, so basically what you are, literally what you are saying to me yeah. is what she said to me. You know, like that? Yeah. So what is the, what would be like the mental side overall? Yeah, so the main thing about about talk therapy and stuff like that, or any, any therapy you do, and it's even talking with friends and stuff like that as well. Like if you think of trauma, right? Um, if you've experienced some kind of trauma in your life, something bad has happened and the memory of that is living in your head or whatever way, way you want to put that, right? So when you recall an event from the past, a memory, right, the emotions come up with that as well. So in, in the brain, yeah, you have an area of the brain, it's called the, the hippocampus, right? That's one of the core memory centers of the brain. Right beside that is the other area I was talking about, the amygdala. That's like the fear center of your brain and they're sort of attached to each other. So when you recall a memory, you are recalling the emotions that come with yeah. that as well. It's like post-traumatic stress and any trauma that people have experienced, right? So um, when you are in talk therapy and you are talking about these challenging events that you had, you're in that safe environment. You're there in that safe environment. So you are recalling these memories. You're feeling the emotions that go with that as well, the hardship that goes with that as well. You feel it in your body. You feel terrible. But what happens is in our brains, our brain doesn't, the next time you recall that memory, you don't keep on recalling the very original event. When you recall that memory again and again, well, what you, what the brain does, it recalibrates that information and stores the memory. And it's like, like a Chinese whisper. It's how you... Yeah, yeah, the memory of the memory. The memory of the memory. Yeah, yeah. And it also restores the emotions of that memory. So if you're in, a, in, in, in therapy or whatever like that and you're talking about these challenging events, well, every time you bring it up and reprogram it back into your brain, it's like taking a video out. You recorded the mental video. You take it, you take it out. You talk about it, but when you put it back in, you've sort of edited the video and it's not as harsh. It's the emotions aren't as raw. And then the next time you pull that out, it's not as bad. And that really is how it works psychologically in, in, in your brain. Like as uh, the longer that you talk about that. So you're not like another way of thinking about that is a bad way of thinking about that. Imagine you kept on reliving a really bad event in your mind and you're saying that was terrible and every time you recall it, it even got worse. It's like a scar, like trauma is like a scar, but you just keep on picking the scab again and again and again. But by talking about it with friends or in therapy in a safe environment, a really calm, safe environment, you're changing the, 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 the feeling of that memory and the emotions of that memory as well. And it just sort of, that's the healing, that's the healing mm. process right there yeah it's like what you say John when you you hear a song and it brings all these memories fl flooding back because you don't know like yeah. a big one for me would be like funeral songs yeah you know like that and you, oh, you, you know yeah. everyone you know when you yeah. hear the song you a know a dance song gives me the yeah. <laughs> there's tunes out there that I can't listen to fuck that bring you back to a mad place yeah but that's what I mean like it's yeah. this triggers so much memory in your in your, in your, in your brain like yeah mm. yeah yeah it's, it's, it's a mad one when you it's think mad. Like, 
Yeah, and it's, it's really it's really important just to think like uh, there's a, the biological level and then there's the psychological level as well, you know, that way. But a big thing, like we, 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 it's the narrative that we give to our lives and the thinking that we have. Like I'm, I'm doing work and skills at the moment as well and I was really surprised to see how much they, these young teenagers, around 15, 16 years of age, and I was, I was wondering, I was going and I never really worked with teenagers before and I was wondering, um, like what you call it, what, what, what issues, I didn't want to drive my agenda and say you should be doing this, four second darts, values and all of the, the work that I do. So I need to get into their minds and get them to tell me the struggles that they have to see can I help, help with that perspective. And I was very surprised to hear how much they talk about negative thinking, negative self-talk, that kind of narrative, that thoughts in our head. So we really have to reprogram that. It's all about mindset and about the lens that we view the world, changing your relationship with the emotions that you have, changing your relationship with your with your inner dialogue that you have with yourself as well. And when you start changing that, that's when you really start changing your life, you know? Mm-hmm. So you touch on that, you're doing some preventative stuff and skills, is it? Yeah, it's it's sort of, it's it's preventative stuff. It's, it's sort of, it's, um, it's, it's, I, I got an opportunity to work with, work with kids. Only started about two or two, about three three weeks now. We've only done three sessions of it so far. So I had Emmett in today talking to the kids. We've yeah. done a brilliant session today. It was unreal. It was. And really what we're doing, we're trying to help them like, uh, to be kids that will be at risk to a certain extent as well. Not so much at risk, but um, in, in an area where, yeah. the area where we sort of came from, right? So one thing, let's say kids dealing with anger and emotion issues, especially on the back of COVID and stuff like that. So what we're trying to do is, is give them the skills that they don't learn in school and for many kids that don't learn in life. It's like how to regulate your emotions, how to not get angry when someone says something to you. So how force that someone says, do your job right. Why are you talking about fuck you kind of a thing? So it's like to show them that you have a choice over how you respond. Show them how to take a pause, bite your lip. What, what is going to serve you in that situation? Because I think that I think that's a way of looking at it as well. What 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 will actually serve you in that situation? You know what yeah, I mean? I would have loved to have that when I was younger. You know, big time. You know, and, and mm. teach them how to be happy, how to yeah. communicate properly with different people, and just helping them to navigate life. That's where it really what it's about. You know, yeah. as you said, it's not taught this in school at all, isn't it? No, it's like, no, it's hard. It's hard to measure. Yeah, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah. would you yeah. say yeah, the soft skills kind of thing, aren't yeah. you? Like, the stuff that you you can't really yeah. I don't know what way to word it now, to be honest with you. You, you can teach them. So it's not, you can't say that they can't be taught because they can be taught. They can be taught. They can yeah. be taught. And I, I, I was wondering what the uh, what the appetite was going to be with them. I was I was thinking they're probably going to think I was nuts talking about all these different concepts and stuff. But it's like once you get it in their language and talk about it in their terms, there's a great appetite for it. And it's just really teaching them, giving them, even planting seeds with this stuff as well, like that's really the important piece as well, to show them that there's another way of going about things, because it's very, there was something I heard recently about trauma that reduces your choices, it, it causes a reduction in choices, and um, what, what, what your man meant by that was a guy called uh, Boyd Varty, his name was, He's a, he was a lion tracker over in South Africa, brilliant, went through a lot of hardship, a lot of hard knocks in his life, went through a lot of hardship and learned lessons along the way, and what he said about trauma was, now his trauma was getting his leg nearly chewed off by a crocodile. It was proper trauma when you think <laughs> of trauma. And he says, it's a reduction of choices. So what he found from that was he just started to froze and he was depressed and he was anxious. And he hadn't got a choice to think in a certain way. He hadn't got a choice to act in a certain way because the trauma just started to paralyze them. So it's just helping people to give them the choices, to give them the coping strategies and um, to be able to um, have a bigger array of, of tools in their toolbox. Yeah, I think it's essential 
to have the right people telling kids these things, you know, because I think sometimes when it's just a teacher telling you, you think, oh, this is just another thing that she has to say to the class yeah. at the start of the year or in this place and that place. When they tell you, like, someone hits you, you tell the teacher, you know, hit back and yeah. Yeah. these kind of little things. It's essential to have somebody who has been through, like, trauma and addiction and things yeah. like that to give them proper measures to go by. Yeah, big time, and it was that. That's just so important. There was something else that that Emma has touched on as well. I I, I found um very interesting that the kids in the class were very interested in as well. It's this idea around growth mindset. That word mindset really jumped into the jumped jumped uh, really grab grab grabbed them, and I was surprised with that. And it's like when you think of growth mindset, we talked at the very start about my brain changing over that that period of time, right? <clears throat> and what that is at at that brain level, it's a thing called neuroplasticity, right? So it basically means you have the plastic brain that you can change your brain over time. So the brain, like if you are constantly anxious and you're constantly worried, like I was as a kid, I had a finely tuned, my brain was a finely tuned anxiety machine. My brain literally took that shape because the brain sort of, it takes the path of least resistance and it will create these pathways in the brain that does a really good job at whatever you do on a regular basis. So if you worry on a regular basis, well, the brain will say, right, well, this is what he does. Let's create a pathway for specifically for this. So whatever you do gets easier over time. And that's a really big problem if you're anxious, if you're worrying, or if you have a lot of bad behaviors in your life, addictive behaviors or whatever. But what you need to do is to realize that you can actually change that. You can forge these new pathways. And this is around what, what Emmett was talking about today, is having this growth mindset to realize that if you open up to new possibilities, to believe that you can learn new skills, acquire new knowledge, solve new problems. And when you start acting and thinking in a different way, that's you changing the brain, whether it's self-observation, stopping those second darts, whatever it is, you're changing the shape of your brain from the inside out. So it's really important to have this growth mindset as well to realize that you can change. Yeah, I think it's crucial in teenagers as well to let them realize, and probably not just teenagers, in all walks of life and at any age, that not every action needs a reaction. And yeah. by not reacting, that in itself is an action as well. Yeah. You know, yeah. When people say like, Definitely not just teenagers. I'm only coming to teenagers yeah, that fucking shit, exactly. like in your early 20s, do you yeah, know what I mean? Like, yeah. like, it's definitely not only teenagers that you'd be talking about. That. Like, we only had sort of the same discussion there last week. Was it last week we had my brothers on? Two weeks ago. Yeah, when we had them on, we were saying the same thing. Like, the reason why we got them on onto the show would have been to talk about, like, that growing up, like, maybe things didn't go our way or things weren't easy. Yeah. But you can change. You don't have to follow the path that you're probably destined for in an area of poverty with not a lot growing up and these things happening, bad things in the home. You don't have to get down that route yeah. that you can change, you know what I mean? And you can find your own destiny. If That sounds a bit cringy, but that's sort of why we would have had them on the show. It's like what you're saying there, you yeah. know? You control your own path. Like you're the one who's taking the steps, you know? Like yeah. That. And it's never too late. And you're a prime example of that, Brian. I seen your tweet the other day about... Uh, when yeah, you started college, up, yeah. yeah, you know, yeah. What was the, the tweet? So it was um, I started college at tour. I st I went back to college at thirty six. I found well, I started college at thirty six. I found love at forty one for the first time. I um, I became a university lecturer at thirty nine. I started my company at forty. And I got my PhD at 43. So something, a few other things in there as well. But it was just like, never give up. There it's is never always, it's never too late. There is always time. And there's always hope, like, you know what I mean? All there's this happens, you know, just in the space of the last seven or eight years to recovery. Yeah. After that was just like all of these good things going for you. 
yeah. which is unbelievable. And it, do, you know, do you know where it all starts with as well? It's like what we touched on as well. It's these, it starts with baby steps. Like mm. sometimes people sort of see, um, even with me, right? So I got the PhD back in December and it's like, oh, I got the PhD. That's a, that big, huge thing. But that started with baby steps. When I went back to college, right, they weren't letting me in because I didn't know how to write English. Like I was really, really bad at English at, at writing. I, I struggled with emails. So I done a little course on how to write properly. That's where it all started for me. Then I started doing assignments and skills. So it was these baby steps compounding over time. But once you keep on showing up, perseverance, putting one foot in front of the other, that, that's the biggest thing is that perseverance to keep on going. And I think we talked about that last time we as did. well. And once you keep on going, it builds up. It's like a snowball. And it takes time to snow. You're rolling the snowball and you're rolling it. It's getting a little bit more snow on it over time. But all of a sudden, it just builds more and more and more. Mm -hmm. Then it starts rolling down a hill more and more. It compounds. And just, it'll get to the stage where it's flying down that hill and there's no stopping it, but it takes time. So when people sort of see something at the end, they don't see the eight years of work that went into it as well. So you've got to start at the start. Like every marathon is is ran with a, with the fourth step. Like mm. every single, every every mountain's climbed with the fourth step. So you have to start somewhere, but just keep on going is really important. Yeah, and so what happened to you in your mid-30s? That was you getting into that growth mindset. Getting yeah. clean. Yeah. And then your brain becomes clearer. Yeah. The neurons kick in. Yeah. And off you go, you're off to the races there. So mm. that, that was your four step there, basically. Yeah. So instilling that to somebody who's in that in a very volatile stage of life, the teenage years, you heard like you could go down the wrong road. And that saying is there for a reason. If you could prevent somebody making all these mistakes in their life. Now, we have touched on that. You can regret it and you can come back from that. Yeah. But you'd rather not go down that road. Real, blue. Real, real, if you don't yeah. have to, like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that, that's it. Try to learn from other people's mistakes, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, it's I, I always believe, like, the biggest lessons in my life have came from the biggest challenges and the biggest mistakes, the biggest failures. They were the biggest lessons. But what I'd like to do now is, right, I don't want to make any more. Like, I, when I make, when I, something bad happens and I fail at something, yeah, I'm going to learn from it, but I would rather learn from someone else. So it's like just look to other people and try to learn the lessons that they that they're giving out, you know, or that the knowledge yeah, down, yeah. Down, yeah. Mm -hmm. You came in here very prepared with the old A4 I did, I pages. You haven't. What what is the pointage that you have on the sheet? Yeah. Well, a couple of what we've talked about. Do you know? Do you know what I haven't got into? Right? It's, it's like stories. I think are really important as well. Right. So it's like, uh, what you call it, people don't remember what you say, they remember how you make them feel. That's yeah. something I heard a long, long time ago and that's something that really vibes with me. Like when someone gets emotional about something and you can feel they're really in it, you remember it more and I think stories are great for yeah. that as well. It's like people who are like animated telling the stories yeah. and they do the actions and they, they make you feel like you're there. Yeah. They're very easy yeah, to yeah, they remember yeah. that story then and the message they're trying to tell you. Yeah, big time. And I think stories, like it's no wonder we go to the movies and we're looking at the hero's journey of all these different movies where seeing people coming through these challenges we love a story we're hard again back to the brand where we've been listening to stories around the campfire for thousands and thousands of years we're hard word for us hard word for a story and there was a couple of stories that had a huge impact on my life there was a, a sto one story biggest impact of any story i've ever heard it's from my favorite book it's a book called awareness by Anthony DeMello. and at the start of that book there's this story of a chicken or a little eagle so this farmer wakes up in his, in his farm and he finds this eagle's egg had fallen out of the tree, right? And he couldn't get the egg back up into the tree. So he gets the little eagle's egg and he puts it in his chicken coop. So a few days later, the eagle hatches and he's in the chicken coop and he just thinks he's a chicken. So a few days go by, he just starts copying to the chicken, starts scratching the earth like a chicken, flapping his wings like a chicken, eating worms like a chicken. He just thinks he's a chicken. 
Weeks go by, months go by, Little Eagle still thinks he's a chicken. Years are gone by, he just that's what he is, he's a chicken. Then one day he looks up to the sky and there's this eagle soaring across the sky and uh, he looks around at the chickens and he says, wow, what's that? And they say, ah, that's the eagle, the king of the skies. But we're just chickens and we belong to the earth and that's all we'll ever be. So the little eagle died thinking he was a chicken. Very, very tragic story. People are always waiting for the for the 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 the, the, the phoenix from the flames kind of a thing. But what Auntie DeMello was saying in that was that so many people in the world are eagles living like chicken. Chickens. It could be addiction. It could be stress. It could be anxiety. It could be the 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 the, the area that you grew up or whatever like that just sort of holding you back and all of those challenges that go with that. But we all have so much potential. But we're all, many of us are eagles living like chickens. And I remember reading that story and saying to myself, oh my God, says, I was in a drug riddled chicken coop for so long. I'm an eagle, I'm going to soar. And I remember that, that I often think of that story, you give me permission just to aim for the skies. Like, you mightn't always reach the skies, but aim big, you know yeah. what I mean? See what you're hitting. It's if no, you fall, you land on a cloud. If you, you know what I mean? Yeah, and you learn along the way. So it's just like, I think stories are really important in terms of just teaching us the lessons in life of where we can be. And again, it's just like, if you think of what we've been talking about all, all night tonight, it's like with the brain and the science and all that, like it, it, when you have trauma in your life, when you have anxiety your life and keep you trapped in that chicken coop but if you can try to work through that take those baby steps take those four steps and get through that and change your relationship with different things look at life through another lens you can soar up to the sky and fly you know find yourself an eagle as well to look up to yeah, the you want to be big time, big yeah. time. Yeah, that's really important. That is, mm. yeah, and surround yourself with other people that are gonna they're gonna lift you. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. yeah, I think that's kind of hard to say in Ireland. I think there's a lot of big grudgery in Ireland. It's a lot of, like, we're chickens, you're a chicken, and you leave it at that. Yeah, yeah, don't be getting notions kind of a thing, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, like I, I wouldn't be a big fan of the American motivational culture. I probably do come across like that sometimes as well, but there's a lot of strength in it as well. And then there's the whole thing about toxic positivity as well, you mm. know what I mean? People say, oh, that toxic positivity, you're feeling crap, admit you're feeling crap. And that's, for some people, that is the way it is. You have to have self-compassion, right, and, and validate. Like, I think that's really important as well. For people struggling in an addiction, like you says, there's a reason why they're taking drugs because it fixes a, a problem that they're actually having in that moment trauma and anxiety and it's it, you have to validate that as well it's okay to be doing what you're doing you're in that position for a very valid reason that is just the way it is but it's important to recognize that we can um, change as well the opportunity is there and we have to let people know that the opportunity is there you can take the reins and do something different for yourself but again taking taking those baby steps is really really important you know mm -hmm. That was a great story. That was a great story. I enjoyed that one. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that one. It made a metaphor as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Brilliant. It sticks. Yeah. yeah. What else have you got there for us? What else have I got? I'm trying to think of the few tools that I have, right? So I'd say one of, one of the most important tools in my life, right? Back to another story, a story from my own life, right? So I was, um, after I, I, I got clean in 2013, wanted to go to college, had this obsessive, you could even say addiction with learning and stuff like that. I wouldn't nearly say it was an addiction, to be quite honest. And that, that's another interesting thing as well, specifically with addiction. Like if you, if you have been addicted to something for a long, long time, and then all of a sudden you, you, you get rid of the substance, you're still, you're still on that treadmill to a certain extent. So instead of trying to just be all... It be sit there in a vacuum and not do anything. It could be a good idea to hook those, hook that onto something else and try to get into something more positive in that moment. And that's really what I done. I jumped into learning. That's what it was for me. Exercise was a big thing for me as well. 
But um, I done a, done my degree in psychology, and that all went well. And then I was working, um, I was working down deliveries Friday, Saturday, Sunday, every weekend for those three years because I had no money. I was on the back to education scheme as well, but I had to pay rent all the bills. So I was doing deliveries for Camille, bleeding. Uh, pink dicky bow <laughs> going around was a very humbling experience let me tell you and um, <laughs> I was I was doing that for the, for the three years and then I got a you know, great opportunity I got a scholarship for Trinity College and um, it was worth 100 grand big scholarship for Trinity College says, this is absolutely amazing and I was going to have the PhD I was going to do it wasn't something that really inspired me when you do it when you do a PhD you're sort of on the agenda of the school where you are and the professor that you're doing the work with and I wasn't really inspired. It was going to be a lot of uh, statistical analysis, machine learning, stuff I wasn't really that interested in. I wanted to do more real-world stuff with mindfulness and addiction and stuff like that, stuff that really inspired me and I wanted to help other people. And um, the, lab I was in, the lab I was in in Trinity College, lovely people, but a lot of them were really struggling with anxiety and all these different things in a different way. And um, there were our doctors, postdoctoral researchers, I call, and younger students as well, so the PhD students. And it was just a lot of, it was a very toxic environment. It was a really toxic environment, a lot of gossiping, a lot of criticizing. They were all giving out about each other in the background. And I was like, I, I don't, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not feeling the vibe of this. Yeah. I was getting dragged into it all. And then the, the PhD wasn't inspired in me. And I started to have a way that I live my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about that in a few minutes. It's, 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 it's a certain values that I live my life by. And let's say values are simply just things that are important to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. What do you value in life? So my mental health, exercise, my physical health is really, really important to me. Inner peace, just a playfulness, having having a laugh, having a bit of fun, not not arguing and criticizing and gossiping and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't vibe with me. But I remember saying, I don't want to be part of this lab. It was just a real struggle it was, but I was afraid. I was crippled by fear. And I says, nah, that's a huge scholarship. I need to just do it. I need to swallow it and just go for it and just do it. And I remember it came to a head. We were in Trinity. We were moving into a place called the Global Health Institute. The whole lab was moving into a new, a new office in the Global Health Institute. And we were having a meeting for um, the new rules of the office and stuff like that. And I was sort of deluding myself saying, oh, do you know what? New office, new space, all brand new. This could be great. But I knew it wasn't going to be. I knew the same stuff would be going on because the people pulling the strings, causing all the problems, it was only getting worse. And... Uh, we went to the meeting for the new office <clears throat> and um, I, I, I walked into the room and they were talking about having a non-speaking office, right? So this is 16 people in an office, a non-speaking office. I started laughing and says, what should we in a non-speaking office? And he says, well, we don't want people talking all the time. I says, well, what about just saying hello to each other? Yeah. Like? <laughs> and he says, what do you want to do? Say hello to everyone. And I turned around to one of the girls in the office, she was a doctor, and I says, no, I just want to be human. I want to be able to go into a room exactly. and say hello to people. And that was one of the best things that ever happened to me because I says, right, I can't do this. I went to me, um, me professor and I says, Rob says, just can't be in this environment, says I'm going to have to say no to the scholarship. So I actually rejected a 100 grand scholarship. And... On the back of that, two weeks later, Rob came back to me and he says, look, Brian, he says he was really disappointed like when, when it happened. He says, look, we have to have a think about it. We can still give you the scholarship. You can do a PhD that inspires you, the one you want to do. And if you want to do the PhD, you can do a separate from the lab. You can do one in coffee shops and stuff like that. Now, by living true to me values, the impact that had on me in terms of being able to write the book, in terms of doing a business, doing a PhD that inspired me, it completely transformed my life like so much over the last few years. And there's an idea that I came across around values, right? So this is the tool really that I want to talk about. And it's not, not so much for addiction. It's just having direction and guidance for your life. And this was the biggest game changer for me. 
So there was this story, it was, it was the Olympic round team in the 2000 Olympics, right? When they were going for the Olympics. And for every single decision they had to make, they asked themselves this simple question, will it make the boat go faster? So for every decision they had to make, they'd say, right, will it make the boat go faster? Will we go for a meal, loads of pasta, a few glasses of wine? No, it won't make the boat go faster. Every single decision they had to make, will it make the boat go faster? So they went on to win multiple gold medals based on this little rule that for every decision, it helped them to make the right decisions. One of my values is clarity. It's, it's just, I like having clarity. I don't, mm. nobody likes uncertainty, but I like having clarity over my decisions. And I just love this rule. I love this mantra. I says, that is just brilliant for making decisions. But it says, I don't have a rainbow, so how am I going to implement yeah, this into my own yeah. life? Yeah. So I thought about it in terms of my own values and the goals of my life. So I started to came up with a metaphorical bow for my own life and I have my own values. Like boldness is a big value of mine. I love taking a chance, taking a risk, reaching out to people, doing things, getting outside of your comfort zone like we were talking about. Other values of mine will be my mental health, it will be um, just honesty, uh, kindness, being loyal to people. These are kind of the values that I have. So I sort of created that as a metaphorical boat for my life. So for every decision I have to make, I'll just say to myself, will it make my boat go faster? So we talked about earlier on that awareness is absolutely critical. Like to be aware is absolutely critical. But once you are aware, then you have to be making decisions, the right decisions that are going to point you in the direction of your true north of where you want to go in life. So that's nearly the, the, the it sits. If you think of it about it like a house, the foundations is awareness. It's all of these tools to practice awareness, to be aware of your own mind, your own emotions. But after that, what sits on top of that then is your value system. So you need to know what your values are. And when you ask most people, what's your values? What's important to you in your life? They'll basically say, Jeez, I don't really know. I've never really thought about that. 95% of people don't know what they value in life, which is crazy because you need to know what's important to you so it will direct you in the right way. You need to know where you're going. So if you create and just sit down and write to yourself, you could ask a few questions, right? What's important to me? What do I value? For every decision then you have to make, you could say, right, does it make my boat go faster? Does it align with my values? And it will just bring you in the right direction. And we all go off course at different stages in life, but if you know where you want to go, your true north of where you need to be, just keep on calling on that and say, right, does it make my boat go faster in the right direction? And that has been a game changer for me. And that's that was the decision I made with, with the PhD. And it had such a big impact in my life. I just use that for every decision I make. Mm, that's brilliant. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It's such a simple thing, a simple concept as well. You're so simple. Literally that, putting yourself first. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and then as well, like connection. It could be whatever it is for you. It could be family. It could be friends. Different things for different people, and it will direct direct you where where the, where where you want to go in life. Mm. It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's 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 weird when you think about because it, it's such a complex, like. It is a domino effect. It's such a mm. simple thing. Ask yourself this simple question, but like the the complexity of it all down the yeah. road. If you tried to explain it from back to front, you'd be all day trying to you'd get be all around day. it. Yeah. And, and I think life is so busy. I think that's the problem as well. Life's so busy. Life is hectic. There's so many things going on. Social media, just the world is just mental. Like you look at lately, we're only on the back of COVID and now we have a war going on. You're looking at the news, you're looking at social media. It's overwhelming, you know what I mean? Mm. So you sort of need these little mantras, these little tools. That's why I always ask myself, beware of second darts. Will it make the boat go faster? Just to sort of put you back on the right path to be able to think of these things. They're just little shortcuts for life, you know? Mm. 
Um, have you any other little I did. I've loads. I could go all day. On top of the values, a whole box of tactics, a toolbox that I sit on. But um, yeah, do you want me to go on? <laughs> let you go point by point all, right, all you want. <laughs> New from Go Loud. Unusual Suspects tells the incredible tale of the 1993 Rochester Brinks heist. You can see the stacks of money bulging through the nylon. We'll hear the inside story of the FBI's investigation into the $7.4 million robbery. FBI are watching it 24 hours a day. The Irish priest of Manhattan, the IRA man turned comic book dealer, and an ex-cop. In order to be one of them, you have to be a pathological liar. Subscribe now to Unusual Suspects. A go-loud original. So we talked about values, right? So values-based decisions, right? And that's that's the thing. That, that doesn't make the boat go faster. It's like a values-based decision. You're t- making a decision and taking an action based on what's important to you, right? So the opposite of that is feelings-based decisions. And people start to think, follow your goal, follow your intuition. And that, that's, that's a little bit different. But when we make feelings-based decisions, you're in trouble, right? Because I don't feel like getting out of bed. I don't feel like exercising. I'm feeling stressed. I'm going to eat a load of crap. I feel like eating a donut. So if you go around constantly making feelings-based decisions and you feel anxious and stressed, you're going to be taking the easy way out. There was, there was a line I heard the last uh, while ago, a guy called Jersey, Gregorick his name is, right? It's like, hard choices, easy life. Easy choices, hard life, right? And it's back to instant gratification, right? If you're feeling stressed and anxious, easy choice, take the drug, hard life right? But you need to be taking the hard choices and then you will have a much easier life. So if you're feeling anxious and stressed, like imagine you wake up in the morning and you're tired and you're anxious and you're just like hitting the snooze button, that you're just basing it on your feelings. But if you're saying to yourself, well, what do I value? I value my mental health. I value my physical health. I'm going to get up and do a run. So if you know what you actually value and what's important to you, you make a decision based on that rather than how you feel. And again, with diet, we're talking about diet. So if you go to the fridge and you say, all right, I'm just going to have a can of coke and just going to eat some sugary snack because that's what the that's what the brain wants the brain craves the easy way out all of the time the brain doesn't like hardship so it's like that feelings-based decision you've got to fight that and make a values-based decision now there's a thing in your brain that's really interesting as well Do you ever hear like the devil and the angel on the mm-hmm. shoulders yeah. like the good voice and the bad voice and it's like and uh, the good voice or the bad voice i'm saying go on and let, let's say here's no problem eating, eating biscuits or anything like that but let's say you're trying to be on a diet and one voice is saying go on have a biscuit have a biscuit eat the eat the crappy food or let's say if it's staying in bed go on hit the snooze button stay in bed don't go to work take a sick day you know all these things yeah. but you know what you have to do yeah right well, what happens, right? There's an area of the brain. It's like the older part of the brain. It's called the limbic brain, right? It's like the the the, the brain, the part of the brain that evolved earlier on in our in our evolution. And this is the brain that's really involved in self-preservation and survival and a, and a survival of the species. And it hasn't really got a language system. It hasn't got like um, it doesn't really think. It's more of a feelings-based part of the brain. And all it wants to do is avoid pain, reproduce and get satiated, have food, eat yeah. good food and Basic stuff like that. Stuff, Basic yeah. instincts, that's yeah. all it wants. And it doesn't really know, like even years ago from an evolutionary perspective, like we didn't have sugary sweets and stuff like that and Starbucks and all these shops and all, all the cakes. So if, if if you found fruit on a tree, high, calor- ca- high calorie food, that was a great thing. So the body loves that because it's highly rewarding to make you take that. But now we're living in a world where all of these uh, refined sugars and all these sugary treats around 
and the body just craves that all the time. Like it's just the dopamine. It's just like reward, reward, and the body just wants that. So when you think of that part of the brain, the limbic brain, it always wants the easy way out. It wants to eat the crappy food. It doesn't want to exercise because exercise is hard. It doesn't want to struggle with anxiety because it sees that as danger. So it's like, oh, drug, take the drug. So they are like the easy choices. And if we go around making decisions and taking actions based on how we feel to make us feel better, the quick fix all the time, we're going to be in trouble. So it's really that difference between values-based decisions versus feelings-based decisions because our values, we know what we want. Our, our, our rational brain, the newer part of the brain, the good part of the brain, let's say the angel knows what we have to do. So you need to be making decisions based on what is important to you in the long term. It's really, really important. Brian, let's have a quick one. It's more scientific now. I don't know if you'd be able to answer it, but is it true that your brain has the same reaction to uh, addiction to cocaine as it does to sugar? Um, it's, it's, that's an interesting one, right? I remember reading a book one time. It's called Bright Lion Eating or something like that, right? And I was talking about the four most addictive things in the world, right? Four powders, right? Sh- white powders. Sugar, flour, heroin, and cocaine. They're the four most addictive powders in the world. That's what he's saying. No wonder donuts are so addictive because it's the flour and the sugar. But it's like, uh, they are highly, highly addictive and it does release dopamine into the system. So dopamine is is the pleasure part. That's the pleasure neurotransmitter that when you take drugs, you it releases lots of pr- pleasure. Now, the reality is, I think sugar releases, like let's say in the normal brain, dopamine's being released. We're, we're having the crack here. We're having a laugh. There's dopamine being released yeah. in the brain when something good happens more dopamine so if you introduce something foreign into the body like like sugar i think it releases around 1.5 or two times the amount of dopamine now if you take cocaine or methamphetamine you're probably releasing about 50 times the amount of dopamine so it feels much more (laughs) much more pleasurable and much better so it is sort of the same mechanism it makes you feel better and both are addictive but one of them is just bigger scale is a much bigger scale a much bigger scale actually cocaine especially methamphetamine it actually uh, it's it's like this big huge burst of dopamine releases those into the brain into the neurotransmitter and then there's another mechanism that stops it being integrated back into the brain so it leaves in it, it's called a synapse. It's the gap between two neurons. It just leaves it there, and it's just like it's just this, like a gorge of of dopamine. Like it's massively, massively pleasurable. Like I've never taken methamphetamine. It was always was sadly enough one of the biggest regrets in my life back, back, back <laughs> in the day. But I'm um, glad I never got there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, hey. Sorry, you want to say something? Well, no. uh, morning habits. Morning habits. And you know what? It really, it really ties in nicely to the feelings-based decisions, right? So having a morning routine is really, really critical. And if you think of if you think of habits, any habit in your life, right? If you're trying to break a bad habit, it's really hard, whether it's smoking, whether it's smartphone addiction, whether it's drinking alcohol, it's very hard to take that away in a vacuum and just not do anything with that. So mm. one of the best ways of doing that is replacing a bad habit with a more positive routine. That, that's a really, really critical way of changing habits. It's really, really important. And having a morning routine in my life has been a complete game changer. Like, it really was a game changer. And I started to develop, I done a course on it, actually. I developed uh, how to create a powerful morning routine. And I have an acronym for that. And it's all really science-based stuff as well, right? So I call it the MAVIC technique. It was just an acronym for the thing. So it stands for meditation, affirmations, visualizations, inner child work and gratitude. And they are really all grounded in neuroscience and grounded in the biology. So meditation is the fourth one and it's like mindfulness meditation, call it whatever you want. But it's like that is practicing self-awareness. Like when you are being mindful, you are like, let's, I'll give you a quick example of a, of a mindfulness meditation, right? So let's say we're doing a breath mindfulness meditation. You breathe in, 
you breathe out, you breathe in, you breathe out. And what happens with most people is the mind just goes off wandering into autopilot, thinking about Friday's live show, worrying about Friday's live show, <laughs> what might go wrong? And they're like, oh, I'm up into the future. Let's bring it back. Or it could be a past regret. But the, when, when, when you're not in the moment, your brain is either in the future, your mind is in the future, or it's in the past. And if, if you're worried about something or you have a big regret, like you're thinking about some traumatic event, you're going to feel the emotions of that as well. So by practicing mindfulness, you're practicing being in the moment. But what you are also doing is you're catching yourself in unawareness. So you're bringing it back. You're bringing it back. So being good at mindfulness isn't like being all zen in a room for 20 no, being minutes. Aware. It's being aware, yeah. but it's, it's catching. Being in every breath. It's catching yourself in unawareness and bringing it back. They say that's the magic moment of mindfulness. Like It's like doing bicep curls for your brain. That's the moment when you actually change your brain. And to bring it back to second darts, it's like you're practicing catching those second darts. The second darts are the darts that when life gets in the way and you're, 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 you're up in your head and you're guilty, you're angry, and you're just reacting to loads of things. But if you're practicing mindfulness and your mind gets away from you and you bring it back, it's like practicing those, catching those second darts. And it really is powerful. Like it's just practicing being in the present moment. It's practicing not being on autopilot and it's practicing awareness. So to bring some kind of meditation into your life is really, really important. Now, I'm not going to tell everyone to go out there and practice mindfulness and meditation because most people just aren't going to implement it in their lives. That's just the reality of it. But there's a great little uh, trick I got from uh, a, guy, a guy called James Clear, fabulous book called Atomic Habits, right? And he has this idea called habit stacking, right? Mm. And it literally means stacking a new habit onto an existing habit. And ever since I heard that, I just mindfully brush my teeth. So every morning for three minutes in the morning, three minutes in the night, I mindfully brush my teeth. I create an association between mindfulness and, that, and the, the habit of brushing my teeth. So now I'm brushing my teeth now, I'm just feeling the vibrations on my hand, feeling the water in the tap, whatever that is, just practicing mindfully, practicing mindfulness in that moment. And it's like practicing mindfulness is just like sensory perceptions. You could be mindful of anything, you know what I mean? Taste, smell, sensations, just your breath, just being mindful of that. So that's something that I've introduced into my own life. And you can do that with anything. You can mindfully drink your first coffee in the morning. You can mindfully walk up the stairs. You can mind, go for a mindful run. So it's just like bringing bringing the, the, the perceptions and the sensory perceptions of what you're feeling back to the present moment. So that's just a great way of introducing it in, into your life. The, the other part of the, the Mavic technique that I, that I have in my own life, right? So affirmations. And an affirmation is simply a verbal statement about something. That's all it is. So I, I, I have a very simple one. It's, I'm happy, positive, energetic, and carefree. I'm happy, positive, energetic, and carefree. Now, I used to start to think this was sort of a fluffy concept, the idea of affirmations, right? That's what I'm thinking right, right now, now before right. you get into it. Lovely, lovely that you said that, right? So one of my biggest learnings in life, when I had that sort of shift in perspective back into 2013, right, I just felt amazing. I just felt this energy in my body. It was like, I remember being in the detox. I was on a farm and it was like, it was like I remember walking out in the morning I got clean. It was like nature was actually breeding on me. It was like the birds were more cheerful than I'd ever heard them before and colours were brighter. It was just this beautiful feeling in my body and I didn't know what was actually going on. And then when I was in a, when I was in the treatment centre, we were there, I was only introduced to mindfulness when I was in detox. Never practised it before then. When we were in the treatment centre, we were doing a mindfulness guided meditation. And I remember our man doing it, it was down in Wexford, down in Asheray, and he was saying, thoughts will come in, thoughts will go out. 
And I sort of had this realization that geez, my mind is really, really quiet. And then I was saying, my mind was always just so busy all the time. I was always consumed by my own mind. So I was like, is that why I feel so good? Is that why I feel like I just felt amazing? And I was left with this question with myself, like, why did I suffer so much? Why am I why do I feel so bloody incredible right now? And and what is this relationship between thinking and self-talking in our narrative and how you feel? And that sort of set me off on, 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 a, on a journey. I wanted to know what was the relationship between our thoughts and our emotions and how we speak to ourselves. That's sort of the, the self-talk. That's the thing I was really, really interested in. And Lots of my studies, big part of my PhD has been exploring that question. And the research shows, the science shows that language is a vehicle for emotions. We literally are the words we speak. Or the words we speak, I love that quote from Hafiz, the words we speak become the house we live in. And it's like if you keep on telling yourself you can't cope, you're not good enough, you're not going to amount to anything, you don't just say it, you feel that as well. So words have power. When you say words, the emotions can go through that as well. So when I had that realization, I was saying, well, that's the power of affirmations. You are saying the words, and if you believe it, I am happy, positive, energetic, and carefree, and embody that and visualize and try to feel that you actually feel different so words have power and that's why affirmations can be really really powerful you really see that can. actually made a bit of sense mm. just like where before <laughs> I was like why don't really get all of it you get me yeah. I thought it was all very fairy tale yeah. and blah 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 but it's like it makes sense that like you feel these things that you're saying about yourself so yeah. like if you tell yourself you're not good enough you're not worthy blah 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 you will eventually yeah. feel like that you will feel like that over time where yeah. obviously the opposite way around, the more positive way would be to say all the good things. Yeah. And that does make sense now. Yeah. So well, that's what I think, that's what I wanted to touch on this whole, I know you're not finished going through that, Brian, but this overall thing and what I think there is out there is people are, have a longing and they are like going, they're all over the place and you see people and you touch on toxic positivity and stuff like that. Yeah. They're longing for some kind of sense of, uh, I don't know, sense of fulfillment and they can't get it. So that's why you see them. They try every which way. They try all these self-help things and like stuff like affirmation, but they're probably getting it from somebody who's not fully qualified in it. Yeah. And then when they come out the other side, there's a lot of stuff you see, especially on social media. There's a lot of these like people who are doing like courses and stuff like that. But like they've done a crash course. They're doing it like for four to six weeks and they're supposed to be like an expert in it. And they have all these people coming in and then there's people coming out the other side and they're like, well, I probably feel worse than when I went in here because this was supposed to fix me and it didn't fix me. Yeah. I must be really, really a basket case if that's if that's the reason. Yeah. And I think that's why we have these hesitations with stuff like affirmation because you see everybody's doing it yeah. but mm. no one seems to have, have it nailed on. Yeah. But it's only when, like, it's on, it, I think it is fair to say like you are an expert in it, Brian, you're a fucking doctor. But if you listen to it and you break it down and you understand, like there's no quick fix to all this stuff. Not even. So if someone yeah. is coming to you and like last month they were like, I don't know, they were doing fucking X on Instagram and now they're doing Y, you'd be like, well, there's something up there. Yeah. You know, you have to really read into it. There's, you need you need work and there's no harm in saying you need help. Yeah. Come out and say you need help. There's a lot of, a lot of people out there who are damaged and we are carrying baggage and there is a lot of trauma out there that needs to be addressed. Yeah. But if you go to these classes and you start feeling worse than when you went in, you need to realise you went to the wrong class. Yeah. You know, and there's no harm in admitting that, yeah. you know, and get into these little habits as well. As you said, stacking. So I see a lot of people journaling uh, stuff like that, and that's great yeah. because you are putting this stuff down and you're visualizing it, you know, like this is how I feel and this is why I feel it. Yeah. And when you see it written in front of you, it helps you understand why you're feeling it inside of you, you know. And I think a lot of people need to realize that there's no quick fix. 
just because someone is selling you something doesn't mean it's the answer. There's, like, there's a lot of help out there. Go exploring. Yeah. And uh, do you know what? That's probably the most important thing we even talked about tonight is like there's no absolutes in life, right? But absolutely, no, there's no one thing that works for everybody. No. That is really, really important. And what I'm talking about here, it's like planting different seeds that might work for you. And I think a really important thing as well is uh, related to that, like we talked about toxic positivity. It's like sort of like giving myself a kick out the arse when I need it works for me, but that doesn't work for other people. Some people need self-compassion. So to say an affirmation, I am positive, happy, energetic, and carefree, that might actually harm some people. So you've got to find what works for you. You know what I mean? We're talking about what works for me here and the science behind it, but maybe you need to say to yourself, I love myself, I'm compassionate, I, I, I need to be kind to myself. Maybe that's what will work for you. Yeah. So you need to acknowledge how you actually feel. Like toxic positivity is a real thing. It can be a big problem for some people. Like if you feel like absolute crap and you're in the mirror saying, I'm happy, positive, energetic and carefree, you're just fooling yourself and the body's going to know that and it's going to be a problem. There's no consistency. There's no coherence with that. You know what I mean? So you've got to find what works for you and play around with these different tools. So it's great that you threw, you threw that in there. It's really important. Mm. What was the next after V? The next visualization. One, visualization, it? yeah. Visualization is, is it's really, really important. I always look if you look at the best in the game in any field, right? So let's say athletes. Uh, it was saying both best in the field. All these uh, high high quality athletes, the best in the world. Visualization is one of the most important tools in their toolbox. They visually rehearse what they are going to do, and it helps them to get there. So if you look at the best in the game and they're doing it, well, then it's going to work yeah. for us too. Like you know what I mean? Something working there. Yeah. It's obviously something working there. And visualization is is a really it's really really powerful tool because let's say we're we're sitting here we're having a crack right we're having a laugh right what are, what my brain is doing here right it's taking a mental picture through my eyes and my ears taking that sensory information in sending the signal from my brain saying this is a really good situation I'm enjoying this let's do this next time right so if I was here and let's say something was jabbing into my leg and I was getting slagged in the room next door and it was just a horrible experience I won't want to come back and do this you know what I mean so your brain is actually saying just dopamine firing off this is good come back to this again in the future so what's happening is you're visualizing this your brain's taking a mental picture visual cortex sending signals to other parts of your brain reward center releasing dopamine this is good let's do this again right now what happens when you are visualizing that many of the neurons, it's in the back of your brain, it's called the occipital lobe, right? It's the visual cortex of your brain. So it goes through your eyes, goes through your brain, out the back and all fires at the back here. That's where the visual center is. And that's basically when you are visualizing something, many of the same neurons are firing just with visualizing in the mind's eye, let's say. So that's why visualization is so par so powerful. So you could be visualizing what you're going to do, rehearsing, let's say, for going, going forward for Friday. Anytime I'm doing a big talk, I always visualize myself talking emotively and confidently and getting a round of applause and everyone having the buzz and you actually feel the good feelings of that. So you're visualizing, you're rehearsing what's going to happen, how it's going to go. It's like you're talking about you're going to do a rehearsal on Friday as well. That's like a visual rehearsal of how it's going to go as well. But you're feeling it and it really makes you feel good within that as well. So visualization is a really important tool just for directing you for where you want to go. One of the things that I personally love with visualization, it sort of gives you permission to take bold chances in life. Like I often visualize myself on the Late Late Show or I used to visualize myself on the, I don't know why, I have no idea, but the Ellen DeGeneres show. I don't know where, <laughs> I don't know where that even got into my head. It popped into my head one day and every time I go to visualization, I think the Ellen DeGeneres show. 
And it's like, what you call it? I remember, um, but what it does, it gives me permission to take a chance. So if I was talking to somebody and they mentioned, oh, I want to get on that. So you're visualizing where you want to be. It's pointing you in the direction of where you want to go. So it gives you permission to take bold action. So there's lots of reasons why visualization can be really powerful. But what I'd say about it as well is to get really specific with it as well. Like I've been visualizing for a long time of uh, being going over to the Alps, over in Austria, being on a skiing holiday, or let's say over in the sun, it depends what year when I'm in that day. Write me second book over there. Sit and, and it's like get really get into the, the 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 sensory experiences of it. Like I can smell the coffee as I'm sitting on the balcony. I can smell the pine leaves. I go for a walk during the day and I can feel the sun on me back as I'm climbing up the mountain. So I'm really visualizing where I want to be I'm really just getting a set in my mind of the direction that I want to go on and it's a really really powerful tool for setting your course I've been doing that for years without realising it remember yeah. I, I only actually said to you this morning like what I love to do now what I, I, what I love to do is like go on a long walk with earphones in and just think about things yeah. like I was saying to you this morning about thinking about the life so I was like I have to be thinking like of a few bits yeah yeah like it all just changed this morning didn't yeah. it like where before I was like Cameron I might pull a sickie on yeah. Friday <laughs> and I'm legit saying that like yeah. I was saying to myself I'll get nicked on Friday just so I don't have to go yeah. to that and I'll probably still get paid off go loud do you get me yeah. but, but what like what I love to do and I've, I've been doing that for years even but like before the podcast, thinking about the podcast. And now that it's here, it's like, now the live show's coming up. Like, last night, because I was only saying to you, we haven't done it in ages. Like, just went on a walk and just thought about things. And last night, I just went on a long walk for about an hour and a half, earphones in, thinking about the live show. And then this morning, I woke up and rang him. I was like, with a few bits here and yeah, there, like, you know. happening, yeah. yeah. So, like, it, Savage, man, it's yeah. brilliant. Like, like visualisation is, like, legit, like, you know what yeah. I mean? But yeah. like it doesn't mean like you can just sit here and think right, it's gonna be a million euro there and it's gonna be there. Do you get me? Like no, it has to be grounded in reality. Yeah, yeah and that's yeah. why like I like people always like me because I hate the law of attraction and all this manifest yeah. and stuff. But that's a prime example there. I hate all that. What you like? Not all that. Sorry, not. Oh, no, that there about the million quid appeared. Yeah, I hate all that shit. That doesn't that doesn't happen. But what you're on about, Ryan? Like I visualized selling out this show and I visualized the crowd there. Yeah. We were there. You were there today when it's empty and I visualise what it's going to be like when it's full I know what it's going to be like I visualise who's sitting where and how it's going to go down and it's and I've said it to you remember it's like I've literally structured this I was like this is the plan boom I know exactly how and it's going to go and plan <laughs> I know and that's why and that's probably why we're like opposite here that's why you're nervous and I know it's like I've been through that I know boom yeah. and that's why you're coming into that now coming into it yeah, yeah. I'll probably go the opposite way I'm like no I'm nervous <laughs> <laughs> got it's a deep base up yeah you'll see me getting Nick Friday yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the next letter so what what's the Oi. word Right. Oi. Gavid yeah. or something, is it? Mavic. M-A-V-I-G, right? Yeah. So, oi, inner child, right? Sounds like a very, very fluffy concept, right? And we touched on it earlier on around trauma and stuff like that, right? So, your inner, inner child work is basically visualizing your inner child and thinking about your inner child. It's the child that, 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 who you were growing up, right? So, I often think of uh, the inner child. I, I didn't, when I was a kid, I had a lot of struggles. I really worried about my parents and stuff like that. And there was a lot of alcohol in my family as well. And I have this memory as a kid for years of just waiting at the window and um, sort of, I remember the, the Arden street lights shining through the netted corn. I'd wait behind the netted corn, waiting for my man and dad to come in from the pub. And I was just worried about them dying all the time. Just absolutely obsessed with this. Loads of worry, loads of anxiety. And um, what you call it? So what, what I do in our child work is I literally visualize myself walking into that room looking at that little kid, that little six, seven-year-old me, 
waiting behind the netted curtain, worried, anxious to death. And I walk up behind him and I just start to put my arm on him, give him a little hug and I say, I have you now. Everything is okay. I'm strong now. I have you. Don't be worrying. And I remember I started going off visualizations of you, which part of this, like I, as a kid at that age, I used to love playing football. I'd be out my back making little goals and all. Before you could buy nets and goals, I'd be using blankets and putting wood together and all, making little goals. And I started to visualize myself out playing with that kid, telling him, oh, it's all right, I have you now, everything's all right. And it's like back to the trauma piece that I was talking about at the start. Like when I when I have trauma in my body now, and it, like the trauma that we have, it's, 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 it's from... When, when you experience trauma in your life, it goes actually into your body. It lives in your body and that's where it stays. So when you are struggling with something in your older life, it's it's coming, it's manifesting itself from that times when you were traumatized <clears throat> as a younger person. So what you do is like we were talking about earlier on, taking out that little video of the memory of that. So what I'm doing, if I recall, I'm sort of like, by doing that inner child work, I'm changing the relationship I had with the trauma that I had as a child. So I'm going in, I'm telling that kid, everything is all right, I have you now, it's yeah. okay. And you're giving that kid permission to feel safe, yeah. feel protected in that moment. But you're recognizing that you were worrying back then yeah. and now you're downplaying it like you're nothing to worry it. about. Yeah. yeah. And it has a really magical effect. It's sort of, but back to, back to, if you think about the science of that, like if I retaught back of that memory of me as a kid, that used to cause me untold anxiety. It was one of the biggest anxiety inducing moments of my life. But when I think of that now, I start to think of that now, just talking with you as a money at the realize now, I think about it with a smile on my face because it's me now beside that kid looking after that kid protecting that kid i've completely changed my relationship with that trauma so that's really an example of inner child work right there you visualize your older self but you give that kid a hug and you just say i have you now everything is all right and i don't even i don't even do inner child work anymore i feel i've gone and i've healed all of them scars mm. i've healed all those traumas like i had an operation as i said when i was an infant so another thing I used to do, I used to hold that infant, look at him with the scar on his stomach and the operation that I had, and I just cradled that infant. Because I used to call that infant an organism. And it was only when I was talking to Alison Keane, she's a wonderful psychologist in, 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 in Dublin, and I was talking to Alison about this, and she says, that's a baby. You're talking about a baby and you're calling him an organism. I, so I was so disconnected from that infant self because I couldn't, I was afraid of the feelings that went with that. So I, I dehumanized, like like people dehumanized addicts and call them junkies and zombies and stuff. I was dehumanizing my infant self, calling it an organism because I cut myself off from the feelings of that. And I remember chatting to Alison about that and it was a really powerful moment for me. It says, oh my God, that was a baby. That was a little me, a little few weeks old baby. And I remember for weeks after that, I just had to cradle that little kid and say, I have you now, everything is all right. And I, over time, changed the relationship with that bodily trauma that I felt in myself. Hmm. Really powerful, powerful hmm. technique. Yeah, and it's that nice. gave me shivers just even listening to that. Yeah. <laughs> it's nice to know that you can actually come to the end of that and be like, yeah. you know what, I actually don't need that anymore. Yeah. The relief of that. Yeah. Letting go or something like That's that. That's what I felt there, actually, just talking about that. Yeah, it was just yeah. a lovely relief there. I didn't realise that I'd sort of I've overcome that. Like, yeah, that like, but that's yeah. nice to know, like, it's not regimental. You have to do it. It's like, you know what? You actually will get to the stage where you don't have to do yeah. one of them anymore. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And what's it? Gee, gratitude, is it? Gratitude. It's probably the number one thing. Yeah. I think I talked about this last time, actually. You did. Um, it was actually the big one for you. The, the last big one. one. Yeah, the yeah, gratitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it is so important. And do, do you know what's interesting? Bring it back to the science again, right? It was like, 
dopamine is like that drives you forward the pleasure the motivation the drive to do things again like even let's say we'll do a part three maybe some of this i love doing podcasts that's going to drive me forward to do more podcasts to do pushing myself out there but that's all like future orientated stuff which we need because we need to have drive we need to have something to look forward we need to have those passions right but serotonin is the real good dopamine is more for pleasure and motivation where serotonin is more for that present moment joy that inner stillness yeah that's just that lovely life feeling you know that way and that's the that's the, the neurotransmitter that we really want to be contacting and that's what gratitude gives you you're sort of, you're grateful for what you have you're thankful for what you have in your life and it doesn't have to get all like a gratitude list i'm grateful for this and grateful for that and have this big list that ticks off the boxes just say i'm grateful for one thing and you could even go deep on that one thing and really think about that that one thing and another one something that i i i, I always do and I, I practice that i think of the kids in my life or you can mm. think of pets in your life as well things that bring you that real joy family and family things as well and say i'm grateful for uh, one thing i always done was my little nephew with a gorgeous little smile and say, I'm grateful for the joy that Aaron's smile gives me. Then I'll say, I'll go deep on that one thing. I'll say, I'm grateful for the joy that Aaron's smile brings my mom and dad when they mind them during the week. I'm grateful for the joy that Aaron's smile and laugh brings to me sister and her husband and their family because he's just a little character. And I just really go deep on that one thing. And it just really, you just start to feel happy and content in that moment. That's the power of gratitude right there. But what I was doing, just, just from that practice right there, what am I doing? I'm visualizing all of those different things. It just naturally happens as you're talking about those things. So again, visual cortex lighting up there, making you feel good. It's like a biological injection of positivity for your brain. Like it's literally, that's what you're actually doing. Like these techniques work, they're grounded in science, they're really powerful. It's mad that you were saying that you were thinking like kids because as you were talking about that, I was thinking of my daughter. Yeah. And in the last world, that's something that I've kind of been coming to terms and I kind of did come to terms with Jordan this as well, is that how I felt before was like, it was a real like parent-oriented relationship as in like you do this because I told you to do this, you do that, blah, you know where like, yeah, just telling the child what to do, there's no real connection. And then over the last, say, I don't know, three to four months, we've kind of connected yeah. as like as people. We have a laugh now, like we talk a lot more, I yeah. feel. You know what I mean? It's only six and like but we sit down and we talk about like her days and like she's asked yeah. me questions and That's stuff. The you know, yeah, yeah, like whereas before it was like you have to brush your teeth, you have to go to bed, yeah. put your pajamas on, you know, like that, and then she goes to bed. But now it's like we're talking and She's saying stuff to me and I'm saying stuff to her and we're like talking about her days and I'd say like, oh, I did this because and then she's able to say, oh, like for example, I gave out to her the other day and she's like, I know why you gave out to me and I'm sorry. Yeah. And I'm like, and I'm sorry I had to give out to you. And like, yeah, you know, we're acknowledging cool. relationships like this. Yeah. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. In the last word, it's just kind of clicked in my head. Like I have a relationship with this person now yeah. as opposed to like I have a daughter who I parent. Yeah. You know, like that. And I don't know, I suppose, yeah, I'm glad. Look, I've gratitude towards I'm grateful for that. Yeah, yeah, that's lovely, man. That really is. That was Leal. Sorry. <laughs> that was Leal. That was yeah. Leal. Just yeah. a little lump in the throat, yeah. though. Yeah. yeah. No, it was deadly, yeah. Oh, right. <laughs> Brian. <laughs> you had to take us back a little bit. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I suppose, you, anything more you want to add in there? I, I just absolutely loved this whole episode. I really did. Yeah. Like, absolutely loved it. Like before you came in, Brian, I was like, like in the first episode was really your life and the things you did to change your life. And now it's just a whole other thing. And I was coming in saying, I wonder where this podcast might go. Like, like, is it going to go well and blah, blah, blah. And like that just went 
better than I could have imagined some Cheers. Yeah. coming in. There was one thing I thought about there. The first one was emotional. Yeah. This one was educational. Yeah. Well, I think the first one was also educational as yeah. well, but there was a lot of emotion in it. Yeah. You, you pulled the right back with that story at the end. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. was like that. Give us a warning. Yeah, <laughs> warning. <laughs> no, but look at Brian. You're doing great work and uh, hopefully if we get half the response that we got from episode one, or part one, sorry, uh, about it all, like, you know, like, we talked about at the start before we recorded, when people think of drug addicts, they think, like, selfish, reckless, how can you care for that person who doesn't care for themselves? But now, hopefully, people start to realise this is actually what's happening to that person who's addicted. The science behind it, yeah. as opposed, like, what we got great feedback from the part like one. One of the messages from the part one with yourself was a girl said that she came out of a restaurant after listening to the episode, so like a week later or something, she came out of a restaurant and outside there was an addict there who asked her for money. She said usually she would grab a bag and, and get away as quick as possible, but this time she had a chat with the person. She she ended up getting them a coffee, something to eat, and she had a conversation and she said it was beautiful and that like they weren't just a junkie or this anymore. She was like, it was mad to talk to, them on, talk to this person on a human level, and she's like, she felt great after doing it and that she was grateful for the episode because that made her do that then you know which is unbelievable to hear things like that that's incredible that mm. really is incredible it's just uh, having a, a very real impact with, with, with stuff like you mm. know what I mean to hear, to hear stories like that's just unreal man. yeah and then like it's that's the gratitude makes you feel grateful that's for doing grateful it. Just, yeah. that, that's yeah. it right there that's it right there mm. like, you that know? is it because when I remember yeah. reading that message I actually think you rang me before I read the message and you said did you see that message and I was like that is just like that's so powerful like they have that impact and it's not like it's not like a selfish thing like we have that impact but like for someone to listen to a podcast between us and yourself and then go and do that type of thing and feel that way after listening is just like that's the type of thing that like money can't buy like, no. yeah. like you want to talk, talk about people doing things for money and people doing things for that type of thing you can't buy that you know what I mean it's unbelievable yeah. and get a few more of them after this episode yeah. Imagine the impact we can have going forward. You yeah. know what I mean? Because there's a lot of stuff out there that needs to change, like drug ad- drug addiction and drug abuse and just the attitude that we have in this country towards substances. You know what I mean? It's a health yeah. problem. It's not a crime problem. This is it. It's, yeah. a, it's, a, it's a biological mm. problem. Like, and this is what the, this whole thing was about. Like if we can get under the surface and realise that it's like the, the, addict- the addictive behaviour is just a symptom of an underlying stress, anxiety or trauma problem that's biological and it's just like a plaster for that. That's all it is. So what we need to do is we need to help people at that mental health and biological level, that stress level and that's where the solution lies, you know? Mm. So part three will be the solution. Part three, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right, we'll wrap it up. Hopefully we'll see you all tomorrow night. Liberty Hall. Doors open 6.30. 6.30, yep. Yeah, see you there. Take us out, Kino. Boom!